The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. The Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's Son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It is written, people won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again it's written, don't test the Lord your God. The devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it's written, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him and angels came and took care of him. Now when Jesus heard that John was arrested, he went to Galilee. He left Nazareth and settled in Capernaum, which lies alongside the sea in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet said, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, alongside the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who lived in the dark have seen a great light, and a light has come upon those who lived in the region and in shadow of death. From that time, Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let's pray. Lord, as we come into this time, may the words that I speak be helpful, supportive, and illuminating for all the journeys of life and faith that may be present here today. Amen. Well, good morning, City Church. My name is Stephen Gunlock. I use he, him pronouns, and it's my privilege to bring you a sermon today. I'm getting used a little bit to the setup. This is actually the first time I've ever had the real pulpit here in preaching, which feels kind of good, like something to, you know, symbolic in a sense. Um, but today, um, today we're looking at this passage. We find ourselves in the first Sunday of Lent, early in the season of fasting and introspection, the 40-day season leading up to Holy Week and Easter. And in our text for today, we find Jesus surviving 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness, followed by an epic temptation by Satan. And there's just so much here. There are so many questions that we could ask about this passage, so many directions that we could take. We could look at the temptations themselves. We could look at the figure of the tempter, uh, the Satan, the devil. We could focus on who or what 
that is. We could wonder if there's personified spiritual evil in the metaphysical realm, or if it's a feature of the human psyche. We could focus specifically on the nature of each of these temptations, but today I'm actually going to offer less a complete exposition of this passage and more of a meditation and a reflection on the place where Jesus experienced these things, the environment that Jesus was called into, on the wilderness, on the desert, on that place of being alone, and in some level of desolation, of not having his community around him, not having enough to eat, and how at this point of total deprivation, at a low, Jesus was confronted by the devil and forced to face how he was going to live into fulfilling his purpose in the world. And so reflecting on the wilderness, I was reflecting a little bit on my own most epic wilderness experience, which was in January of 2019, and it wasn't really that epic because I was actually in a car the whole time. Um, But in January 2019, I had made a short trip to Tahoe, and while I was there, I'd had sort of an epiphany of sorts, Uh, you know, kind of just one of those moments where you know something, and I knew on that trip that it was time for me to begin my counseling psychology program. Um, I had been contemplating that step for almost 12 years before that, and it was one of those times where you were just kind of like in an almost, as my aunt would say, a God moment kind of way. You just kind of know that it was time to start that journey. But there was a storm coming in, and I didn't want to get stuck in the mountains for days, so rather than waiting until the afternoon to leave as I had planned, I left first thing in the morning, hours before it was supposed to begin snowing. And keep in mind that I'm a weather geek, so I actually checked weather.com, the National Weather Service website, and made a very honest and smart determination that it was not going to start snowing over over the Sierra Crest until hours after I left. And so I hustled out of Alpine Meadows. I got on I-80, no problem, heading back to San Francisco. There were even peaks of sunshine. I was sailing along smoothly for about 20 minutes, gaining elevation as I approached Donner Pass, that place named for the terrible things that happened there. And if you don't know what it's named for, you can look it up after the sermon, but it's not suitable sermon content, so I'm not going to go into that. But I was approaching Donner Pass, you know, gaining elevation, probably about 20 minutes out. That's the highest point that you go over on the way back to San Francisco. And suddenly the traffic just stopped. Like there was no weather problem. I'm not sure what happened, but we just sort of all stopped. You know, no real explanation. I'm not sure why or what was happening. And we sat there just for about over an hour. And then eventually it began to snow. And it began to snow harder and harder. The traffic was still stopped. The traffic began to move forward ever so slowly, but I had started to worry that I might be out there for a long time. And so I checked my gas gauge, just over a quarter of a tank. I had planned to fill up after getting out of the Sierra since I, since for some reason gas is cheaper at sea level. I'm not sure why. Um, And I'm a six on the Enneagram, which means I pride myself on being prepared for things, but I was not prepared to be snowed in for my car um, for a day plus. And so I became critical of myself. How could I have not prepared for this? I heard that, you know, that same tempter voice in my mind saying, how could you have let this happen? You're so foolish. Uh, What are you going to do about this? And I began to imagine being out there all day and all night with feet of snow piling up around my car as it slowly ran out of gas. And it's funny in those moments, too, even though there's tons of other cars around you, and you're like, 
somebody else would have let me into their warm car, I'm sure. But in that moment, you're just like, no, I'm going to die. It's not, there's no way. Um, but, you know, it was a little bit unnerving for sure. Um, but rather than getting stuck there, I realized I needed to take a risk. I decided to get off I-80 at my next opportunity as we slowly moved along, take back roads to the nearest gas station, which wasn't very close, and prepare to be stuck in my car in a blizzard while trying to get back down to sea level. Thankfully, I was in a Jeep Wrangler that I had rented on Get Around, and it really lived up to its reputation as I plowed through the piling up snow, sometimes slipping and sliding on back roads, but the Jeep delivered as promised, and I made it to the gas station, filled up, bought some snacks, which was very important, and kept going. Uh, so I made it back onto I-80, but it continued to be sort of the most, not sort of really, the most hazardous drive of my life. I and the other cars, I don't even know why they like let us do this. It's just, if you're up there and things go wrong, it's just chaos. Don't do it. It's, you know, some people were trying it this weekend even. Um, but we're trying to get back down, you know, to sea level, going down steep grades at about 15 miles per hour in heavy, heavy snow and wind. It was incredibly dangerous. To make matters worse, most of us were Californians and not experienced at driving in snow, let alone that amount of snow. But I remember slowly but steadily rolling down the mountain and, you know, car after car in front of you would just sort of, not all of them, but some of them, you'd be going down, you're following each other, just this slow march down the mountain, and then, you know, the car in front of you just sort of slides off into a snowbank. And that would happen again and again. Um, and these weren't like dangerous, these were like slow motion little slides into snowbanks, just little like poof accidents. But if you were to stop, you would have made things worse. You would have created more confusion, more accidents. So you kind of just had to keep going and be grateful that you made it. <laughs> so I continued to go downhill in this Jeep Wrangler that I didn't own, I had rented and, you know, exchanging heartfelt glances of concern with people in hatchbacks and sedans as they gently, you know, careened, you know, gracefully, like ice skaters into snowbanks. It just was really sad in a way, but um, I hope they're all okay. <laughs> I think they were. I didn't, I didn't hear about anybody dying in this situation. Um, but eventually, finally, after hours, made it back down to Colfax, it finally turned over to rain. I'd never wanted it to stop snowing so badly in my life. I actually like snow. I was geeking out this weekend seeing snow on Mount Tam and on other hills around the Bay Area. But I wanted it to stop, and finally it stopped, and I rolled into a Starbucks parking lot in Colfax and gathered there, you know, with other stunned drivers who had also thought they were being smart, like me, getting out ahead of the storm. And we, it was sort of one of those like friends with strangers kinds of moments where you all just had this experience that you weren't prepared for. You weren't prepared for it to take eight hours to go just 56 miles. None of us knew what we were in for, but we were grateful to have made it out. And I wonder if Jesus knew what he was in for as he stepped into the wilderness. He had just been baptized and commissioned by God. The sky had opened and a voice from heaven had spoken. That's the first page. Not <laughs> a voice from heaven had spoken. This is my beloved in whom I am pleased. The Holy Spirit came down on, upon him like a dove. It was a high point in his life to date. And then the same spirit, the text says, led him into the wilderness where he would be tested and tempted. 
And I'm wondering if we should expect the same pattern in our own lives. It makes sense to think that if we're following in God's path for our lives, that things would go well, that things would go well. And they sometimes do, thankfully. But what if we were to accept that wilderness times, that trial and temptation are actually part of how we know that we are really following in Jesus' way and really following in God's path for our lives? For me, driving through that blizzard shortly after making a major life decision to start a second career was symbolic in a sense that the path I was embarking on was going to change me more than I thought and be hard in ways that I could not foresee at that time. It felt both foreboding and confirming, and that's often how wilderness journeys are. They're a kind of hazardous initiation into a new form or a new season of life that one enters through testing and through trial. And like Jesus after he was baptized, they often come right after something really good or nice or new and glorious, after a high point, after a period of expansion and growth and vision for the future. Spring Washam, who is the founding teacher of the East Bay Meditation Center, says that an initiation is a rite of passage, a test, a stepping stone, or a threshold that each of us must cross in life. An initiation often comes with challenges that bring us face-to-face with our worst fears. Face-to-face with our worst fears. And many mostly non-Western cultures have some of these processes and rituals built into their society. But for most of us, maybe not all, but most of us in here, I expect that we didn't formally receive this. But I believe that if we're open to it, that God will bring us and help us receive the experiences that are missing from our life. As author Paula Darcy says, God comes to you disguised as your life, and God will bring you to the wilderness through the events of your life. For Jesus, though, what were these temptations, though, exactly, and what might they have to teach us? Jesus found himself starving after days of fasting. He was asked to turn stones into bread. He was asked to hurl himself from the top of the temple and use his God powers to gently float down like a feather. He was asked to become a political king of the whole world. For Jesus, this testing in the wilderness was to see how he would use his power, He had to face the core human drive that seeks to have power over than power with. Richard Rohr put it this way, these three temptations are the primal and universal temptations that all humans must face before they dare to take on any kind of power, as Jesus was about to do. They are all temptations to the misuse of power for the purposes that are less than God's purpose. Jesus passes all three tests, and thus the devil left him because he could not be used for lesser purposes. If you face such demons in yourself, God can use you mightily. Otherwise, you will for sure be used. In each case, Jesus was asked by the devil to use his creative and divine ability as God to run out of sync with human reality. It's a reversal of sorts of Adam in the garden who used his human power to try to take more than he could handle as a human being. In this case, the devil asked Jesus to use his divine power to take what he genuinely could have taken, but that would have made it so that he was living a more than human life. Rather than changing the heart of humanity by living a different sort of human life and showing a different way, the devil would have much rather Jesus simply ruled over humanity like some sort of emperor deity. 
But these were all within the realm of possibility, you know, theoretically, for the Son of God. Yet he did not do it because his mission was to live a truly human life full of limitation and completely dependent on God, nature, and other people. Unlike Adam and unlike most of us, including myself, Jesus didn't step outside the power of a human life, a life marked by not always getting what we want, of not always having enough, of sometimes being hungry. Yet we try to step beyond our limitations over and over again. We hang on. We try to control. We try to make things that just aren't working work. We try to get fed by what isn't food. We try to make something what it literally isn't. And these are the types of things in life that I think get me, get us into trouble and cause suffering and cause us to feel used. And it's why in the season of Lent we focus on taking something away, on giving something up. It's a way in our own lives of sort of creating a little bit of internal deprivation, intentional desert, intentional wilderness, in order to be in touch with dependence. And so it might be worth asking in your own life right now, where might you be trying to extend beyond your limitation, beyond your human capability, your humanity in some sense? What rocks might you be trying to turn into bread? Working now as a therapist, I see this no more clearly than when we try too hard to hang on to something for too long, even if keeping it is painful. To quote Spring Washam again, our old identity, even if dysfunctional and painful, is also an old friend, like shoes we've worn for a long time, but that are too small. We've been through a lot together. We keep wearing those shoes because we like them. Even if they rub our feet, they're familiar. But this is often how we are led into our own wilderness, even as we want to keep things the same, perhaps a way of life that isn't working for us anymore, perhaps a form of faith that doesn't make sense to us anymore. It might be a marriage, a relationship that's died, but that we keep going back to. And the list could go on if various ways in our own lives that we try over and over again to turn stones into bread, to make something what it just isn't. We're trying to be more than human by fighting what just is the case because we really don't want to go out into the wilderness, into that place of feeling lost, alone, that place where we literally are forced to confront our own demons. But according to this passage, that's precisely where the Spirit wants to lead us. It's great news, everyone. But it's a place where we can be changed and be prepared for the rest of our journey, like Jesus, and for new things. And though wilderness times are scary, and they're difficult, for sure, they aren't the end of the story. Verse 11 states, Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. And so there's a promise here that even when you go through the wilderness, or even if you are in the wilderness right now, you won't be left here. It is in these times that we actually change, and I believe these are times where we can actually experience really deep spiritual healing, even if we feel like our bodies or our lives or our minds might be falling apart. It's a healing that comes from letting go and experiencing a felt sense of God's presence and a closeness that sometimes happens when everything else is taken away, when the ego finally gives up out of desperation. 
And it sounds like this is what happened to Jesus in his hunger and his, in his temptation. And I trust and hope that it's what will happen for all of us as we journey together through whatever wildernesses we might be experiencing in our own lives right now, both those that have come to us unbidden that we didn't seek and those that we might be cultivating for ourselves in the season of Lent, knowing and trusting that whatever is happening is intended, like Jesus, for our good and our growth. Let us pray. Lord, whatever wildernesses, whatever desolations, whatever deserts might be present in this space today, I pray that you would meet us in all of them, that you would provide comfort, presence, guidance, that you would help us, like Jesus, to hold fast to what we know is true, even as we let things go, even as we let things fall apart and come to the core of ourselves, and in that process realize that that's exactly where you are. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.